Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. How'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Facts. I am well aware that we are well, well, way early in the history of the Grease Pole podcast here, but it is probably. Uh, living my life for 32 years, it is the most Grease Pole podcast thing possible to have put out last week. Hey, we're going to be putting out new episodes every Monday now. And then the work schedule interferes and just, I'm Jody Foster and the Accused, and now here we are on a Wednesday edition. Uh, the Donovan McNabb episode, if you will, episode five of the Grease Pole podcast. Appreciate you joining us along for the ride. You can follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Grease Pole Podcast. Just uh, just crossed over two hundred followers on the old on the old page, so it's a super minor milestone. Um, when I actually posted uh, advertising this episode about an hour ago, uh, I had a sex bot comment, which was super super fun, super awkward. I mean, we're talking, man, within eight seconds. Those things are fucking relentless. So, you know, it, I, I don't know how many of those 200 or so followers are pussy bots. There may be a couple, so it might be, you know, the numbers might be skewed a little bit. We might be more at about 195, 196 followers. But nonetheless, close to 200, even if there are a few sex bots in there, appreciate you following the show on Instagram. If you have not yet, again, at Grease Pole Podcast. Uh, questions, comments, content ideas, suggestions, anything criticisms open to all of it so uh before we get to the main event of the evening for episode five that was plugged on the show page at grease pole podcast on ig uh the big news in the uh past week or so past five four or five days in the nfl world and there's not a whole lot going on right now obviously given circumstances but we did last thursday have a three-hour special on television for the NFL schedule release. And if you're a loser like me, you sat there fucking glued to your TV watching all three hours because it's something to scratch the itch. You know what I mean? And again, these things are kind of... I'll get into my opinion on schedule releases in a second, but it, it I don't know that I would have done the whole thing had it not been for circumstances being what they are right now. Because if if you're dialed in, you kind of know going into the schedule release who you're playing, the divisional rotations. If you win the division, you get division winners, things of that nature, which we did last year. So that is the case in 2020. You know, the divisional rotations, AFC divisions once every four years, so on and so forth. And so you know in the, you know, the league, you, you can see home and away who you play where. You know, going back to I believe it's in January or so. So you kind of have an idea of where the schedule is going to be, or at least who you're going to play, where you can plan vacations, things of that nature. 
But the purpose of this is for, you know, hey, how many primetime games do we have? You know, travel, let's see how that affects the schedule, how it affects the team, how many road games do we have in a row, how many home games do we have in a row, shit like that, the semantics of the schedule. Again, if you know, if you're locked in at all, you have an idea coming in. But this is where the deck gets sorted out and you have definitively in front of you what the schedule is going to look like for the 2020 season. Now, again, hopefully, knock on wood, we actually have this fucking schedule for the love of God because it's struggle enough without hockey for me personally. No baseball sucks. No basketball either if you're an NBA fan, right? So, there, I mean, there's been nothing. But take football away from this country and watch all hell break loose, <laughs> Right? I'm saying it's going to be like the fucking purge. People are going to go ape shit. It's going to look like Vancouver when they rioted in 2011 when Boston beat them in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's what it's going to look like. And Canadians are polite. That was a nice riot. Americans are fucking assholes. So it's going to be way worse if we have no football. But again, not trying to be glass half empty guy. Hopefully we'll we don't cross that bridge. Hopefully. So anyway, I'm not going to dive into all all. 17 weeks of the schedule here. I'm not going to do it. That's just not. There's two pet peeves of mine in terms of football content, and they are draft grades immediately following the draft. I try to cover the draft a little bit differently. We'll get to that here shortly. Another example of that. And predicting the schedule record as soon as it comes out just for content purposes because you have no idea – Looking at that schedule in May, who's going to be healthy, who's going to be injured for either team, how any of these teams are going to look, it's all a mystery at this point. Same with the draft grades. When you put out a draft grade for a team that's, you know, just put together a draft, that's awesome. Like, drafts can look good on paper, absolutely. But none of these dudes have put pads on the NFL level yet, so you have no idea. You can have an idea of a pick, but you don't know for sure. So how the hell can you assign a letter grade to it? You see what I'm saying? Those are two pet peeves of mine that, again, I get content business. I'm here doing the same thing. But try to put a different spin on it. So if you want a full, complete breakdown of every single one of the Birds games this year, spoiler alert right now, this is not (laughs) what this is going to be. You can find that on another Eagles podcast, I'm sure. But – Things that do jump out to me. Just a few quick observations. Week one, the Birds go to D.C. to play the Redskins again. Three out of the last four years, the Eagles have opened up the season against the Washington Redskins. Look, easy win should be in theory, right? Should be an easy win. You know, but you got Ron Rivera, new head coach. You know, new influx of talent, things of that nature. Chase Young on the edge possibly coming up against a a fresh left tackle, potentially, in Andre Dillard, second-year guy. You don't have Jason Peters anymore, maybe, potentially. Talks of maybe bringing him back with some other teams. But that's week one, is the Redskins again. That was my first thought. It was, okay, we do this again. But again, all three years has been a win. Three of the last four years that we have played the Redskins, that is. A little further than that, moving on a couple weeks, Joe Burrow and them boys, the Cincinnati Bengals, come to town week three, play at the link. 
This is going to be a welcome to the NFL moment for Joe Burrow in front of the crowd at the link. I have no doubt about it. But again, this goes back to what we were saying about the schedule. You look at it right now in May and you might think, hey, man, you know, Bengals, they picked first overall again. And for a team that picked first overall, they have talent there, man. This is not a team that is a complete dumpster fire in Cincinnati. They could very easily, if you're an uneducated fan, you look at the you look at the Bengals logo there at week three and you go, ah, they just picked first overall. They were two and fourteen last year. They suck. So this should be an easy win. Rookie quarterback. You never know, man. Joe Burrow could be white fucking hot. That team's got a ton of weapons around him, man. They put a line in front of him in free agency or in the coming draft. Again, they get Jonah Williams back on the offensive line, their first-round pick last year in 2019. He comes back healthy. You never know. This game could look to some people like an easy dub for the Birds. What happens if Joe Burrow comes to town white hot in week three? All I'm saying. That's why, again, that one jumped out to me because of what it was. But you never really know. Rookie quarterback brings in the Cincinnati Bengals, leads them to the 215 Broad and Patterson week three of the NFL season. Four primetime games this year. Four. Week four, Sunday night football at San Francisco. Then week seven, Thursday night against the Giants. The following week, week eight, Sunday night against Dallas. Then final primetime game of the year, pending flex. Week 12, Monday night football. The Birds' only Monday night football game of the season. Again, pending flex scheduling against the Seattle Seahawks. <clears throat> the, the the Seattle game seems to be a primetime game. Philly and Seattle last couple years, every time that happens, the Birds and the Giants seems to perennially be on Thursdays now every year. And there's always going to be an Eagles-Cowboys game in primetime. That's the bottom line. You know, San Francisco defending NFC champions – you know, that's 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 a glossy matchup. That's one that NBC would want. I can get that. So, again, four primetime games, week four, week seven, week eight, and week 12 is what we're looking at at this point in terms of primetime games. Those are the ones where you're going to have to burn your sick days. <laughs> if you're planning on staying up late, cranking up the weird a little bit, and doing a little recoup the following day. Personally, I hate night games, if I'm being honest. I would take a 1 o'clock kickoff all, every every damn Sunday, every Sunday. Unless it's on, you know, uh, like Veterans Day weekend and you have that Monday off. Then that week, fuck yeah. Give me Sunday night football. Absolutely. Otherwise, not a big primetime guy. But, again, they do it for ratings. The more primetime games you get means more vi- the more viable you are to the networks, given the TV contracts. Four is a good, uh, good number for the birds. I remember looking at the schedule last year when it came out. And I remember my pops and I were talking when you had those three road games in a row last year. And my father and I were talking like, man, this sucks. They, this is we're the only team in the league with three consecutive games on the road. They didn't do this to any other team, but they do it to us. They better get us back next year. Hats off to the NFL. Surprisingly, three straight home games at the link this season, you're looking week six, week seven, and week eight. Opponents are going to be Baltimore, the Giants, and Dallas, respectively. Again, two of those are going to be the primetime games we just talked about in terms of week seven on Thursday night against the Giants. And then you have week eight, uh, the final home game before the bye against Dallas on Sunday night when the Cowboys come to town. So those is that's kind of the receipt 
uh, that and I'll take gladly for the for the three straight road games last year that the birds had. They gave us three straight home games this year. Okay, we're even. For all the marbles in Week 16 at Dallas, that's a huge game. That game could very easily decide the division. Easily decide the division for all the marbles. Wentz versus Dak, Philly versus Dallas. You know the deal. You know the deal. The NFL put that game there on purpose. Honestly, kind of surprised it wasn't week 17, if we're being honest. Maybe the NFL does that because they think, okay, hey, maybe teams can rest going to the playoffs. Maybe they think that will be the one that clinches the NFC East and the winner can rest playoffs or have that option at least. Because, you know, the Eagles close the season against Washington, which means Dallas closes against the Giants. Because you always close every, every, every week 17 matchup is always a divisional game. So we get the skins, that means the Cowboys get the Giants. But week 16 against Dallas is going to be fucking huge. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a cage match. Any wrestling UFC reference you want to make, it applies there. For all the marbles, week 16, the birds go to Plastic Man Jerry World and hopefully bloody their face. Hopefully. And take this damn division two years in a row. Let's hope. But those are the things that jump out to me looking at the schedule. Again, you got week one opening up in D.C. again. You know, the four primetime games is good. That's about par for the course. That's what this team's been getting. And they're going to put Dallas on the back end of the schedule for obvious reasons. They want that late-season drama. It, 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 in all likelihood, the NFC East is going to come down to Eagles-Cowboys. So why would you not want that game at the end of the year when it's going to matter more? So it makes sense. So those are my observations for the schedule. Again, I'm not going to break everything down. Don't want to spend too much time on it. Just, just, there's a lot of places. If I were to predict a record, I don't know, man. Anywhere from 0-16 to 16-0. I I don't want to put a number on there. I don't want to, I don't know. I mean, 10-6 maybe feels right. And that's just off the top of my head, man. But I don't want to go... The predicting the record thing, man, it, at this point in May is the same as draft grades. To me personally, it feels pointless. Personally. Because you have no idea. There's so many variables that go into one game, one play in a game, let alone an entire game, an entire fucking schedule. You have no idea. Those are just some things that jumped out to me. So as promised last week in episode four, what I want to do, and this is going to kind of close out uh, draft talk in the sense of recapping what happened a few weeks ago in the 2020 draft. And again, I, I've, I've said it before and I will say it again. The NFL draft is my favorite drug. It's cocaine for me. I love it. I can't get enough of the draft. It's one of my favorite weekends every year, aside from fantasy football draft weekend. They're both right there. So I don't want to be the guy that does 75,000 draft episodes, even though I could. So what I wanted to do here was something I just kind of do to compare. I don't know if anybody else does this, but when you're kind of watching the draft, as the board kind of shakes out and you see your team's pick, you know your team's pick is coming up, and you see who all's there, you got a, you got a handful of guys that you want, that you're hoping your team takes. It's fun to hit the refresh button before every round even. Okay, round, you know what I mean, after, after the first round ends. Going into night two, okay, these are the guys I want in round two. Boom, boom, boom. Some of them go early. Some of them are still there for you. 
it's just fun. I don't know if anybody else enjoys this, if anybody else is a fucking mark and a nerd like I am and does this shit to entertain themselves. You know what I mean? Plays GM with a Jack and Coke in hand on draft night. I don't know if anybody else does, but I do. So I thought it might be kind of interesting for you, the listener, and entertaining, at least self-amusing to myself, to go through what I would have done with the 10 picks that Howie Roseman had versus what he did, you know? And again, I'm not going to go through every single pick that he did. You can find that on Google. I'm not going to waste time with that. We covered it last episode, episode four. This is my 10 picks. I'm just going to take the 10 picks that he had. I'm not going to be doing trades or any of that stuff. The 10 picks the birds made for the draft, who I would have taken with them, who was kind of on my radar at that point, who I was hoping for, and then ultimately who I would pull the trigger on if I were the actual GM. So this is, if you want to call it fantasy football, I guess you can say it is. Only with non-skilled positions, right? Because there is no offense, there's no lineman in fantasy football. It would be awesome if there was, though. wonder how high they'd go. How high do you think a guy like, you know, fucking Joe Thomas would go back in the day if they, if they did have linemen? Pancake, pancake blocks. Point five points. So I just want to do a little bit of hypothetical versus reality to see how the priorities stack up, how the results stack up, and just kind of compare to Howie Roseman and the job that he did. And again, there's really no good, it, it, no immediate results, but this is something you can revisit in a year and then see, okay, you don't really know how a draft pick turns out until you see him play for a year or two in the system. So you give him a chance to lo- learn, develop, Things of that nature be coached up. Just a fun game I play that I wanted to turn into the send-off episode, so to speak, of the 2020 NFL Draft. So what I'm going to do here, the way this is going to work, I'm going to go through the picks, name the pick, and I'm going to give you a couple guys that were on my board, a couple guys I had in mind, followed by the actual pick. Everybody knows who Howie Roseman takes. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely you're an Eagles fan. And if you're not, thank you for being here. Go Birds. <laughs> so just to kind of comp me versus Howie, hypothetical versus reality, little game of fantasy football, chess pieces, here we go. 21st pick in the first round. And this one was – I'm going to be honest with this one because the more I thought about it, The more we talked about it here on episode three, I believe it was, the more I liked the Jalen Rager pick. I love the Jalen Rager pick. I am not discounting the Jalen Rager pick. He's more versatile. He can do more. Again, Justin Jefferson was the hot name prior to the plunge of CeeDee Lamb into Jerry's lap. Justin Jefferson was a hot name in mock drafts, so everybody kind of wanted him, and rightfully so. He was a hell of a player at LSU. That said, I don't even know that he was the best receiver on that team. It might be Jamar Chase, who's likely going to come out next year. But he got basically all of his production from the slot. We discussed that. Jalen Rager, you can line him up anywhere. Slot, X, Z. He can return kicks. He's versatile. He's even been in the backfield here and there. Jet sweeps, things of that nature. Jalen Rager brings more more options to the table for Doug Peterson, so to speak, than Justin Jefferson. So I'm not shitting on the Jalen Rager pick when I say this, but my big board going into 
the night. I'm just being honest here because if I'm going to do it in the interest of transparency, as discussed on episode two here, my top three guys in order, if I had my big board, number three, Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, Arizona State. Two, Patrick Queen, linebacker out of LSU. Number one on my big board was Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU. 21st pick, give me Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU. And again, I, I'm i not disparaging the Jalen Rager pick. Fucking love it. But if I'm being honest with myself, and I wanted to go back and like, should I – should I get cute even and switch this up a bit because I do like the Rager pick grew on me and I liked it at the moment it happened and it grew on me more and more and more and more the hours and the days and the weeks after the pick and following him on social media and things of that nature love it but if I'm gonna do this I took myself back to putting my big board out there on the pre-show leading up to the draft, episode two here. If I, I, I'm just being honest. I had Justin Jefferson at the top of my big board then. I stuck with him here. I don't want to be the guy that contradicts myself. I'm not fucking Colin Cowherd. <laughs> okay? So give me Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, out of LSU. First round, 21st pick overall. So we moved to night two, the second round, the 53rd overall pick, the pick that shall remain nameless, the one we discussed uh episode four last time we know what happened there we know what happened there no need to delve into it anymore again but looking at looking at who was there on the board and even this is where it goes into going into the night okay who who's on your board personally grant delpit safety out of lsu again we picked 53rd grant delpit safety out of lsu number one on my big board going into the second night of the draft. Jalen Johnson, corner out of Utah. Antoine Whitfield Jr., safety out of Minnesota. Jeremy Chin, safety out of Southern Illinois. In that order, one, two, three, four. Love those guys, would have taken any of them. Okay? Downside is Delpit goes 44 overall to Cleveland, so he's off the board. Antoine Winfield Jr. goes 45. The next pick to Tampa, he's off the board. Jalen Johnson, corner out of Utah, goes 50 to Chicago. He's off the board. So the only one of that handful that's still there at 53 is Jeremy Chin, safety out of Southern Illinois. Fucking love this guy. Loved him. We talked about him on the draft preview episode, episode two. I was huge on him. But looking at who was still there, and there was a lot of guys, man, but the two that jumped out to me, aside from Jeremy Chin, I'm looking at Zach Bond. His possible value there. He ends up going in the third round in New Orleans. But Christian Fulton being there, corner out of LSU, I would not have wanted Fulton in the first round at 21. He's a big – if you follow I, – I, I enjoy pro football focus. I consume their material. They're good. They were higher on him than I am. I love Fulton in coverage. Fulton in coverage, phenomenal. Cannot tackle. Cannot tackle. So that is why I say at 21, I wouldn't have wanted his ass. But now here we are at 53, and he's still sitting there. The value is way too good to pass up. And again, this is a secondary in the offseason that's added Darius Slay, a lockdown corner for the first time on this team in 10 years. Nikel Roby Coleman in the slot, best slot corner in the NFL, if not one of them. Okay, 
But when you have an opportunity, when this value falls to you at a position of need, I'm pulling the trigger with the 53rd pick in the second, with the 53rd overall pick in the second round. Give me Christian Fulton, cornerback out of LSU. I just think the value there is way too good to pass up. That's what this is about, is getting guys. You you look at your draft board, and again, clearly my draft board would, it, it looks different than Howie's, clearly. And Howie's won a Super Bowl. The only Super Bowls I've won are in fucking fantasy and Madden, okay? I'm not an NFL GM, all right? I'm an armchair GM. Again, Jack and Coke GM in the hand, all right? But I studied a lot of tape on these guys, man. I know this team. I know what this team needs. I loved the. I loved Fulton being there at 53. When you can add him and just bolster that secondary that's been neglected for so long and just kind of patchworked with Rasul Douglases and Sidney Joneses and, you know, Cravon LeBlancs and Avante Maddox. And I love those guys, especially Avante Maddox. But fuck, you need high-end guys. Even if he's a bust, who gives a shit? You had a borderline first-round guy fall to you in the second at 53 at a position of need. Grab him, call it a day, move on to the third round, the 103rd pick, which is where we go next. And my big board going into the third round, again, kind of hitting that refresh button, when you go from round two and transition to round three, okay, who's still there in the third round? Who's still there? The one guy I wanted in the third round more than anybody, more than anybody, was Lynn Bowden, Mr. Everything out of Kentucky, receiver, natural position, played some quarterback, you know, can, can, can do some stuff for you out of the backfield as well. Jet sweeps, hit that edge, good in space. Loved Lynn Bowden. And I was hoping like hell he fell to the birds at 103. But again, given the choice, how he made it 53 earlier in the night, that didn't seem like the likely move anyway. I'm just going off of my big board, who I wanted. Again, assuming that Jefferson and Fulton out of LSU are now Eagles. Lynn Bowden's number one on my big board. Again, also loved Logan Wilson, linebacker out of Wyoming. Fucking love that guy. Fell in love with him watching tape of him leading up to the draft. One of my favorite players in this draft. Third round is perfect for him. You get a steal in him if you get him in the third round. Also love Devin DuVernay, receiver out of Texas. You know, again, kind of a lot of those receivers will go into the second round. The K.J. Hamlers, the Michael Pittman Juniors, T. Higgins goes as the first pick in night two to Cincinnati at 33. The receivers, the 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 big guys are kind of start. They're gone. DuVernay is, is kind of on the back end of that, you know, that list of receivers personally that I really wanted. And I would have been absolutely on board with the birds doubling down at receiver in round three. I kind of wanted two receivers in the first two round, first three rounds, excuse me. You know, again, taking out what Howie actually did later in the draft. That's what I wanted sitting, sitting there watching the draft that night in this moment in the third round. That's what I wanted, depending on how the board fell. Lynn Bowden goes 80th overall. Again, Bird's pick. We're, we're on the clock at 103. Lynn Bowden is gone. 
80th pick to Oakland. Or Las Vegas, excuse me, the Raiders. Mike Mayock's goofy draft and ass. <laughs> and I love this pick. I love this pick by them. And he follows it up with Brian Edwards, receiver out of South Carolina. And that's the night before, after, in my opinion, reaching like hell on Damon Arnett, corner out of Ohio State at 19th overall. Credit Mike Mayock and the Raiders for sticking to their board, even if their board isn't super conventional to what you may think it should be. And even if they'll shock the shit out of you with a pick every year, I love the pick of Lynn Bowden to the Raiders, 80th overall. Wanted that guy more than just about anybody in this draft. So he's off the board. What about Logan Wilson? He was the first pick of the third round to Cincinnati, 65th overall. Fucking love that pick by the Bengals. Bengals nailed this draft. Bengals nailed this draft. First pick of the third round, Logan Wilson, 65th overall, linebacker out of Wyoming. Go watch tape on him if you have not yet. You will fall in love if you're a Bengals fan, or even if you're a fan of football in general. It's impressive. Duvernay, Devin Duvernay, receiver out of Texas, gets pulled off the board, 92nd pick overall by Baltimore. Another incredible draft by Eric DaCosta, GM of the Baltimore Ravens. They just they reload, man, every year. They're a well-oiled machine there in Baltimore. Every year. Every year they kill the draft. This pick was no different. Devin Duvernay, great value at 92nd overall to the Baltimore Ravens. So looking at who all was still there on the board again, and you also have to consider that linebacker is a need for this team, in my opinion. Uh, a fairly glaring one. And how he ended up going uh, linebacker with this pick, with Davion Taylor, linebacker out of Colorado. And I like that pick. I do. I like Davion Taylor. Watch tape on him. I'm impressed. I, I like the pick. I'm not shitting on that pick. Again, this is just my preference where I would have gone pick 103, third round, give me Akeem Davis Gaither, linebacker out of Appalachian State. That's the linebacker I would have gone with. You know, so you can – we agree on the position there, just different guys. Okay? And Davis Gaither actually ended up being the first pick of day three to Cincinnati. Very first pick of day three in the fourth round. Davis goes to Cincinnati. They double down Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis Gaither. Boom, boom, linebacker, third, fourth. Great pick, great pick, need position. Props to the Bengals. That's where I would have gone. In my world, he would not have been there for the Bengals to start the third day, though. I would have taken him with 103rd overall pick. He'd be an eagle. So let's go to day three, the fourth round. The Birds sit at 127th pick. Okay? There's a lot of guys, a lot of guys still on the board. Man, again, what a deep draft this was. Top of my board, not even close. Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa. Love that guy. Him and Logan Wilson were the gems that I found when I was watching tapes on guys that I just I fell in love with. Again, like Jeremy Chin, too, but it, 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 Logan Wilson and Reggie Robinson, absolutely love those dudes. Logan Stenberg, also on my big board, guard out of Kentucky, Mauler. Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson. Amik Robinson, excuse me, Amik Robertson. Getting there's a Robinson and a Robertson there. Alliteration, too much. Learn how to speak if you're going to do a podcast, kids. Amik Robertson, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. Okay, so again, we're sitting at 127. Reggie Robinson. I fucking hate more than anything in this world. I fucking hate to take my hat off, tip my cap to the Dallas Cowboys on anything. But I was praying to God Reggie Robinson was there and that he was high on Howie's big board. 
123rd pick, Dallas Cowboys take Reggie Robinson quarter out of Tulsa. I don't think I've ever been that pissed off over another team taking a player in the fourth round of my life because we were right there. He was so close to falling in Howie's lap. Again, don't you don't know that he would have taken him, but fuck, he goes to Dallas of all teams. And I'm going to just leave it at that. I'm not going to outright give the Cowboys credit on this podcast, but mazel tov, Dallas. Also, go fuck yourself. So, Reggie Robinson goes 123rd overall to Dallas. Logan Stenberg, guard out of Kentucky, 121st pick overall to Detroit. Those dudes are gone. Top two on my big board, which leaves Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson, 127th overall pick, first pick in the fourth round of day three for the Birds. I am going exactly where Howie Roseman did as well, as this was the pick that Howie Roseman made on day three on that Saturday. Again, I like Amik Robertson as well a lot. He's a dog, the corner out of uh, Louisiana Tech. little undersized, though, man. Kayvon Wallace was just a chess piece that, that Brett Venables used in that Clemson defense, you know, and and it, it, you want that versatility, especially, again, in a secondary that that has been retooled, slightly revamped, but has the needs. You know what I'm saying? That That isn't – isn't exactly where you want it to be yet. You can take Kayvon Wallace and you can move him places. First safety that's been picked out of Clemson by the Birds since the GOAT Weapon X, Brian Dawkins. I know I said that in episode four, but anytime we talk about Kayvon Wallace, I'm going to say it because Brian Dawkins is fucking God. So I that, that has to be said. That has to be said. I am in lockstep with Howie, 127th overall pick. I'm going Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson. <clears throat> Let's advance 18 picks, simulate all the way up to the 145th pick in the fourth round. Or not 145th pick in the fourth round. Fourth round, 145th overall pick. Um, Looking at my big board, again, Amik Robertson, corner out of Louisiana Tech. He goes 139th overall to the Raiders. The Raiders steal another guy. James Lynch, edge rusher out of Baylor, 130th overall to Minnesota. Troy Dye, linebacker out of Oregon. 132nd overall pick to Minnesota. Vikings had a fucking killer draft, too. So all those guys are gone when we're up at 145. So next on my big board, looking at it now, the little guy, you know, next in terms of the handful of guys I wanted. Dallas took Reggie Robinson from me a few picks ago at 127 overall, or excuse me, 123 overall. Is where Robinson was picked. We're up at 127. I'm going to take a guy from them at 145 overall that they end up taking. Tyler Biadash, safety, excuse me, safety, center out of Wisconsin. Jason Kelsey is one of my favorite players on this team. He's an all-timer. Fucking love Jason Kelsey. He's an icon, the Mummers, and the Super Bowl parade down Broad Street. He's an icon in the city forever, Jason Kelsey is. But he's older. Again, kind of flirted with retirement a little bit. Biadash is great value here at this point in the draft at 145 overall. What I'm doing is I'm prepping for, okay, you're not competing for Jason Kelsey's job because he's fucking Jason Kelsey and he's the best center in football. But when he does decide to step away, be it at the end of 2020, 2021, even 2022, whenever it is, again, retirement's kind of, you can see, he's addressed it. It's, it's on his brain a little bit. You want to get that guy in there to replace him. Biadash at 145 overall, incredible value. I'm making him an eagle in my hypothetical universe. We are in right now. 
That finishes off the Birds' fourth-round pick. So we go to the fifth round at 168th overall. That's where we sit now. And again, as things played out, this the pick we're ultimately going to take here ends up going much later, and I'll touch on that here in a second. So my big board goes as follows. James Prochet, wide receiver out of SMU. Bryce Hall, corner out of UVA. He ended up going 158th overall to the Jets, so he's off the board at this point anyway. Natane Muti, guard out of Fresno State, still on the board as well. Again, head of my big board, though. Up top, James Prochet, wide receiver out of SMU. Give me him with fifth round, 168th pick overall. He was top on my big board sitting here. I love James Prochet a lot. Again, trying to just double down at receiver. Missed out on Duvernay in the third round. You want to add weapons for Carson Wentz in this offense. Prochet is a guy I love out of SMU. And he ended up going 201st overall to Baltimore in the, uh, in the sixth round. But, again, as I'm sitting there on my couch, I'm not going to sit here now and plug him in. Oh, I can get him at, you know, at pick one. Our next pick we're going to get to in the sixth round, 196 overall. As I'm sitting there, you know, sipping Saturday, watching the draft, this is who I wanted at this point in the draft. He was still there. Had I been Howie Roseman, this is a guy I would have pulled my trigger on. That's what we're doing. 168th pick overall, James Prochet, wide receiver out of SMU, is the pick for me. Welcome to Philly and hypothetical land. Sixth round, 196 pick overall. We agree on a lot. Again, I'm not, despite how I feel about the 53rd pick in the draft, the second round pick, the shell remain nameless. There's a lot of picks here that I like that Howie Roseman made, man. Howie, this is another good draft for Howie Roseman. Okay. My big board, Cam Brown, linebacker out of Penn State. He's off the board now again. We're sitting at 196. Cam Brown goes 183 overall to the fucking Giants. Natane Muti, guard out of Fresno State, goes 181 overall to Denver. And again, another homer pick here for my college team, Robert Windsor, defensive tackle out of Penn State. He goes 193 overall to the Colts. Next on my big board, Howie and I end up in lockstep arm and arm again. Give me Sean Bradley, linebacker out of Temple. Love this pick. Philly U, tough kid, Temple tough, single-digit number which is not given out to anybody there at Temple. He had that honor. I love Sean Bradley. Again, it's a need position as well. So now in this draft, you couple him with Akeem Davis-Gaither, and I think that's a hell of a start to kind of revamping or adding, at least at the minimum, adding depth to this linebacker core that fucking needs it, man, that really, really needs it bad. So again, to this point, Howie and I have both taken two linebackers. We both agree on Sean Bradley out of Temple here at 196 overall. 103, he went Davion Taylor, linebacker out of Colorado. I go Akeem Davis-Gaither, linebacker out of App State. So, you know, tomato, tomato, right? So we agree there. A couple picks later, 200th pick overall, still in the sixth round. I'm looking at my big board. Let's start from the bottom of the big board and go to the top. I feel like I'm giving, I'm tipping my hand here. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver out of Oregon State. He's still on the board. Geno Stone, safety out of Iowa. He's still on the board at this point at the 200th pick. Prince Tega-Wanogo, offensive tackle out of Auburn, still there as well. But the pick I am going with at the top of my big board with the 200th pick overall, we're taking Eno Benjamin, running back out of Arizona State, who ended up going uh, the 222nd overall pick 
to the Arizona Cardinals. He stays in Arizona, went to college in Tempe at Arizona State as a Sun Devil. He goes to the Cardinals now in the NFL. Now, he was a seventh-round pick. But, again, as with Prochet, I'm not, I'm not looking at this thing. I'm not filling this out later going, oh, I can get him. I can get him with my next pick. Let me cheat here. This is who I wanted here. Love Eno Benjamin. Had him in college fantasy football. He was my first-round pick. He's the reason I won a college football fantasy championship. So there might be slight bias, and this might be the reason I'm not an actual GM. And I'm sit, sitting on my couch sipping Jack and Cokes. But I want this guy. And, again, it helps to have a compliment to Miles Sanders. You you have – you need – now, this is not fucking 10, 15 years ago where you have a bell cow running back. You need it. You need a guy. You need a committee. Miles Sanders, I firmly believe, can be a workhorse. And I think he's going to be a top 10 running back in the league this year, borderline top five fantasy-wise. Miles Sanders can fucking do everything. Not an elite skill set, but he can do everything. Eno Benjamin the same way. Catch passes out of the backfield. He demonstrated his ability to do that this year as a senior. Not so much as a junior, but this year as a senior. Proved he could do it. Loved Eno Benjamin. For the sake of this argument, he's an eagle now with the 200th overall pick. So now we have that depth back there behind Miles Sanders as well. Nice one-two punch. Incredible value in my opinion at this point in the draft. And we're getting to the 210th overall pick now in the sixth round. And this is another one. This is another one where Howie and I are arm in arm here. My big board goes as follows. I've got Carter Coughlin up here, linebacker out of Minnesota. He was on the wish list. Geno Stone still on the board, safety out of Iowa. Top of the big board still, though, we touched on him there with the Eno Benjamin pick last time. He was in the conversation at 200th overall. So we're going to pull the trigger here at 210 overall on Prince Tegawanogo, offensive tackle out of Auburn. Exact pick Howie Roseman made as well. This is the third and final pick that Howie made that he and I agree exactly on verbatim. Love this pick. He was kind of a guy, actually, that I had – like, he was on my radar early on in the draft process, kind of things of that nature. But injuries, stuff like that is the reason he fell down the board. If it weren't for this, he would have been – he would have been a second round. He would have been a day two pick. But he had some injuries. This is a this is great value at two ten overall. Is Prince Tegawanogo now again? I had kind of it was one of those picks when you're kind of looking at who all's still there and 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 the birds are on the clock and you're sitting there and you're going holy fuck that's right he's still there. Again he was on the big board a couple picks ago, but earlier in the sixth round when I saw he was still there I was shocked. You know obviously it 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 you didn't see his name called but. When the bell, when it goes off and you go, man, I can't believe this guy's still there. Again, Benjamin to me was the priority. I thought he would have been more likely to go than Wanogo because of the injury issues, but I get to 210 and Wanogo's still here. Let's go. Come to Philly. We need offensive linemen. Depth. You know, that's why Logan Stenberg was on my big board out of Kentucky. You know, absolute mauler, that guy. Just fucking nasty tape. Depth on the inside of that offensive line again on the outside now the bookends you get depth behind Andre Dillard and Lane Johnson with Prince Tegawanogo with the 210th overall pick and now we go to the final pick of the draft seventh round 233rd overall pick this is where <clears throat> for all intents and purposes just about everybody I personally had on my radar was gone by this point, save for one save for one player. There's still some value there. Kenny Wilkes, defensive end out of Michigan State. 
He ended up going a couple picks before the 233rd overall pick. Again, he goes to Minnesota at 225. There's a soft spot for me if you're looking, if you want to go back up quarterback. And I am so happy this guy got drafted. Again, I'm going to go Penn State homer here. And he transferred from Happy Valley to Mississippi State. Tommy Stevens. He ends up being drafted 240th overall by the Saints. Look, the Saints quarterback room is what it is. It's kind of busy. It's a bit of a clusterfuck. But I'm happy he got drafted. I'm happy he's in a good place. He's one of those guys that, you know, again, you remove the 53rd overall pick from the equation. He's one of the guys I'm looking at late in the draft. I'm looking at a backup for Carson. But again, Penn State homer, eh, there may be some bias there, admittedly. But the only guy who's still sitting there at the 233rd overall pick that I absolutely unequivocally want, and he's still there, fell in my lap, didn't have to move up to get him, falls to the 233rd pick, Derek Tuska, edge rusher out of North Dakota State, Carson Wentz University. He's the pick there in the seventh round, 233rd overall, the Eagles' 10th and final pick. That's who I'm taking to close things out. So he is a guy that, when you talk about high motor, go watch his film. Just an incredible high motor. He goes. He never takes a snap off. I know that sounds cliche, but he doesn't. The only, only... I guess negative with him and it's not even he can't help it but he's got T-Rex arms he's got a little short stubby arms so he can't get that separation that you want ideally he's got really short arms but everything else he checks all the boxes that you want high level of production at NDSU but at the 233rd overall pick I'm willing to roll the dice on a guy because to me that's what that's about at 233 overall I can get a guy that I know can fucking produce Okay, yeah, short arms, whatever. But, again, 233 overall, that is incredible value for the last pick in the draft in in terms of, you know, again, that's what it's all about. These drafts, man, if you look at these teams, the teams every year that that are, you know, in the playoffs and in the conversation, it's not just the first-round picks, man. Those are the shiny ones, and those are the ones you draft in your fantasy league, things of that nature, at least skill positions. But nailing on these mid to late round picks is so important. That's where you fill out your roster, right? And if you can add value across the board, that's where you really enrich your roster. So Tuska at 233 overall is too good to pass up. That's the guy I'm sending his name to the podium or Goodell's man cave, wherever we are at that point. That's where I'm going. I'm making him the pick, and I'm lighting a cigar afterwards and enjoying my draft. So, again, to recap, the 10 picks that I made. First round, 21st overall, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU. Second round, 53rd overall, give me Christian Fulton, cornerback out of LSU. Third round, 103rd overall pick, Akeem Davis-Gaither, linebacker out of Appalachian State. Fourth round, 127th overall, Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson. There's a first one Howie and I agree on. Fourth round, 145th overall, Tyler Bidosh, excuse me, safety. Why the fuck do I keep calling the center a safety? God damn it. He doesn't even sound like a safety, and he went to Wisconsin, which all O-linemen come out of Wisconsin, basically. Tyler Bidosh, 
center out of Wisconsin. I almost called him a safety again, I swear. <laughs> Fifth round, 168th overall pick, James Prochet, wide receiver out of SMU. Sixth round, 196 overall, Sean Bradley, linebacker out of Temple. Second, you know, tit for tat with Howie. Sixth round, 200th pick overall, Eno Benjamin, running back out of Arizona State. Sixth round, 210th overall pick, give me Prince Tagawanogo. Offensive tackle out of Auburn. There's number three with Howie. And the seventh, excuse me, the seventh round, tenth and final pick of the draft I am making in this fantasy world at 233 overall is Derek Tuska, edge rusher out of North Dakota State. So let me know what you think of this draft compared and contrast to Howie Roseman's and what he did with said 10 picks. Again, it's too early to be able to tell any of this shit. But you know, I'm I'm always open for feedback. Again, you can comment section any of that at Grease Poll Show on Instagram. Always open comments, questions, concerns, content ideas. Blast me. Tell me I'm a terrible GM. I had way too many Jack and Cokes putting that draft board together. I'm fine with it. Just curious your thoughts. Again, at Grease Poll Podcast is where you go to find the links to these podcasts and other content as well so definitely appreciate your support uh appreciate you joining us on this special wednesday edition the donovan McNabb episode episode five and uh so long as the united states navy doesn't get in my way uh we will actually be going every monday from this point forward i know i said that last week hey it's a date now every monday but <laughs> work schedules happen sometimes as long as that doesn't get in the way we will see you here this coming monday for episode six again stay in touch at grease pole podcast what do you think of my draft board juxtaposed to howie's let me know curious to hear your input enjoy your weekend kids stay safe i will see you on monday for the next episode of the grease pole podcast as always go birds yo how'd barkley put it <laughs> looking like another grease pole night in philly philly philly, philly.